Welcome to the Parenting Well podcast with Parent Engagement Network. I am Dr. Shelley Mann, your host, and today you are listening to Parenting Well, where we know that parenting well is challenging and that all parents are the best parents they know how to be. We firmly believe that the foundation for raising healthy, happy youth is for us as parents to fill our own well with useful, reliable, credible information, tools, and strategies. So let's fill that well. Today's guest is Christopher Lord. He's going to be talking to you today a little bit about his role at the University of Colorado and how parents can prepare and support their young people in entering the university environment. Chris, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Hi, everyone. My name is Chris Lord. I um, work here at the University of Colorado Boulder in the Health Promotion Office. Uh, My official title is I'm the Assistant Director of Alcohol and Other Drug Programs. Uh, Yeah, so really what I do is a lot of prevention uh, and early intervention work around substance use and also some recovery work as well. Excellent. Thank you so much for being here today. We're here today to talk about vaping and what you're seeing here on campus. What do you think is going on and how has this become such a big epidemic? So there's this new generation coming to college, I call it Generation Z, and what we're seeing is that there's been uh, decreases in most substance use with this generation nationally, um, except for maybe vaping, right? Uh, there's some increases in some mental health pieces for this generation, but yeah, the vaping we're seeing is increasing and I know we're seeing it at the high school level as well. So, it's interesting that you say that in general substance use has gone down with um, this new generation that's coming into college. Yes, based on our national data. Interesting. What do you think contributes to that? Oh, that's a really hard question. I I would say there's been a change in technology, right, with this generation, and uh, the way that at least what I've read about is that the way that people are connecting is different than it was in the past. Um, there's more connection uh, through technology, and so I think that people are spending maybe some more time behind their computers than they were previously. So therefore, like, there's less maybe people going out and partying and connecting in that way over, over other drugs. Um, I, can, I can also say that we're seeing nationally an increase in um, depression and anxiety uh, among this generation. And so it's hard to know how much of that is um, like reducing the stigma around uh, reaching out for help around depression and anxiety, right? And, and how much of that is, is also just maybe that there is an increase. I think that we have been seeing an increase in stress and anxiety, and I find it interesting that that increase has not correlated with an increase in substance use as a way of um, coping, coping with that. With that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, substance use certainly still exists, right? So if you are a parent and you're concerned about your child using um, something like vaping or even harder substances, mm-hmm. what, what should you do? Um, yeah, I would say that we talk about vaping, at least in this case we're talking about vaping nicotine, um, I can say what I would do if there was somebody that I cared about who was vaping, um, I would talk to them, mm-hmm. I would talk to them. So when I work with students, um, I think the first thing that I need to remember and check in with is just myself and my own perceptions around uh, around whatever drug someone's using, right? So in this case nicotine, right? My perceptions and my biases around nicotine is that it's super addictive and that uh, you know, if somebody uses it, they're going to get hooked on it, and I get really scared that it will have long-term health consequences for them. That's what I get scared of. So I need to be able to recognize that coming into the conversation because otherwise my fear is going to take over. It's okay to have fear and to be, I mean, it's realistic, right? It's, it's okay to have whatever feelings I have. I just need to be aware of them before I start having this conversation with somebody. Once I have that awareness, 
right? I, I really want to engage somebody, and I want to remember that, this is going to maybe sound weird to say, but all drugs have benefits. There's a reason people are using nicotine or alcohol or marijuana or heroin. Uh, there's a reason, right? They have a ben- There's a benefit to that. And so for me and my work, a lot of my work is helping students to try to better understand the relationship that they have with the substance. I am lucky enough that I have relationships with people in my life, right? I have a wife. I'm really grateful for that. The truth is, though, with that relationship, it, it takes uh, a level of, of awareness, right? I need to pay attention to it and uh, not only pay attention to it, but work on that relationship in order to make it work for both of us. Otherwise, uh, sometimes relationships don't go so well for me. The same is true with any relationship that I have with a substance, right? So uh, if somebody's using a substance, I believe in trying to create spaces for people to explore that relationship uh, in a way that is non-judgmental. Now, as a parent, that has got to be really hard, right? I'm not asking anybody or expecting anybody to, as a parent, to be non-judgmental. That seems like a really hard ask. Um, But I think what I am advocating for is if it's possible to create a space that is conducive to letting them really share openly and honestly with you. Um, And for some relationship, I don't know, you know your relationship better than I do. So for some people that could work really well in other relationships that might not be the best option, right? As a parent, you're also having to uh, enforce rules and boundaries. And um, I think there's a tricky balance that can happen with creating space for people to uh, talk openly and honestly, uh, but then also having to enforce rules or punishments or whatever you do as a parent, whatever your parenting style is. What I hear you saying is that it's a balance of... um learning about and accepting where your child is at so that you can support them through that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've certainly seen that sometimes what you resist persists Uh and and that it's helpful to be in their world and understand it rather than judge, shame, guilt them for where they're at. And you want to make sure that you keep that space open so that you can actually still be an influence in their life rather than have them shut you down. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, right? How do we... I like to use that word space, right? We're trying to create space for somebody, and it's uh, it's not just only so we can support that other person, but in creating space for somebody to explore, it, it helps them sort of unlock their own wisdom and expertise. So I, uh, I was trained as a, an addiction counselor and uh, a licensed professional counselor, and uh, you know I follow a humanistic perspective, and pretty much what that means is that every person that I work with, my part of my job is to help them uncover their own internal wisdom and goodness, right? Inside of every person, I believe that there's a level of wisdom and expertise on themselves. And so part of my job is to help that person unlock that and find that and bring that out. Um, I wish it was as easy as just telling somebody like not to do it. Uh, sometimes I work with people and I, um, I just want to say, like, can't you see that this is harmful to you? Like, please, you know, you should just stop. Uh, and unfortunately, that really just doesn't work. Um, I think that I have found it okay. It is okay to share. I'm not. I'm not saying don't share opinions, right? Uh, especially as parents, it's so important to uh, just to share what your opinions are, right? With mm. with your kids. I, I think that at least for me, that was that was really important growing up. I can say uh, I really valued my parents' opinions. And how do we share our opinions uh, while also leaving space for? Whatever, whoever it is we're talking to, to, to have their own opinions and bring them out and explore those opinions, maybe if they're not fully developed yet. That's, that's, the, that's the idea. Yeah. That's, a, that's a tricky balance, I find. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think especially when we talk about teenagers and kids who are in college, mm-hmm. that they are in that space of creating 
their own identity. They're exploring different options. They're fi figuring out who they are, everything from their social life to what they choose to do for a career. Mm -hmm. That it's really, as a parent, that there's that shift from parenting to coaching, in a way. If I can advocate for just consistent space, right? Consistent space to have this conversation and, and bring it up and bring it, because... You know, I think that that's sort of a, a thing that every person and every young person has to develop through is that they live in a world where it's socially accepted to do certain things and they have to develop their own relationship with that and what that means for them. Yeah, I like that because you're bringing up that social piece, right? Um, in some cases, it's not only socially acceptable, but almost feels like what they're supposed to do, uh, right? It's not only that it's socially acceptable for me to drink or to vape, but in some social scenes, uh, it's expected. I know for me, even, it's expected in some social settings to have a drink. It's weird if I don't. Some people look at me weird, right? And so I have to be able to be really solid in my own relationship uh, in order to really... Um, in order to really have the relationship that I want with a certain substance. I have to be really conscious about that. Otherwise, I'm just going to fall into what I what, what society expects of me. And then there's obviously that kind of... Um, the difference between exploring who you are and the social acceptance of it and someone who has a very serious problem and it's affecting their life in a certain way that yeah. is super harmful for them. And so I know you've done a lot of work in counseling and in prevention work. What do you do in a situation where that line has been crossed? Well, that line, let's define that line first of all, right? You're talking about like a, uh, like a problem, right? And that can mean a lot of different things, right? So um, I'm going to start on the, the gentler end and we'll move to a more severe. Does that, does that work? Yeah, okay. that works. So, uh, on a so one of the things that I do and I am really passionate about is something called early intervention, uh, otherwise known as indicated prevention. And really what this means is it's, it's working with somebody who has shown some risky behavior around a certain substance, um, but hasn't, doesn't yet meet the criteria for what we would define as a substance use disorder, right? So it's like uh, somebody who, maybe it may be a college student who drinks, it could be it could be their first time drinking, it could be their hundredth time drinking, right? But they maybe they drink too much, they get sick outside, they get contacted by the ambulance, right? That could be an example, right? Doesn't necessarily mean they have an addiction, right? Uh, but there's some harm happening, right? So um, what we do is with, with, at least here at CU, what we do with students who uh, have shown some risky behaviors, we bring them into either an SBIRT or a BASICS intervention. Um, and these are some evidence-based practices, right, that exist in early intervention. And, and, and really the purpose of these uh, of these classes is to help that person to come in and explore the relationship that they're having, right? A lot of times we focus on uh, like harm reduction strategies, um, helping students to really identify those strategies, strategies within themselves so that they can have more of the desirable and fewer of the undesirable experiences, right? And so that's, that's, that's a one example, right, of, okay, th this has been a problem, right? You're drinking too much, you're blacking out regularly, you don't know how to control it, you haven't figured out, like, okay, if, if you want to drink, like, how do you drink in a way that gives you the experience you want, right? That's, that's, that's like, one example of, like, a problem, right? Like, somebody doesn't need to be addicted to a substance to have severe harm from it. Um, somebody could use something for the first time and have severe harm from it. And that's true even with nicotine. We see that even with nicotine. Um, you can you can overdose on nicotine, which is kind of strange. People don't usually think about that. Uh, yeah, so that that's possible, especially if you're not used to using it, right? And you're you're using it with somebody who uh, who uses regularly or often, right? You try to use the same amount as them. You don't have a tolerance. You're gonna uh, you're gonna have a really 
part experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's like that's like one end of the work. And I wanted to bring that early intervention piece up because I think it's so important when working with young people because most young people that we work with, um, they may show some um, risky behaviors, right? There might be things that aren't perfect and, uh, or not even not perfect, that are quite frankly really harmful for them. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they are addicted or need to go to treatment, right? right. Um, and part of early intervention is helping that person understand if they do have uh, some form of addiction, right? Or if it's just like, okay, I'm not really addicted, but I'm using in a way that's not working perfectly for me. When we do an early intervention, we do identify somebody who maybe is meeting some of the criteria for a substance use disorder, right, or an addiction. Um, Then our role becomes trying to work with them to move through what we call stages of change so that they then develop a willingness and a plan to seek the resources that would be most appropriate. So that's that's a piece of it, right? The reason this exists, this early intervention piece exists, is because if you're sending people in to treatment who don't need it, it's like it's like getting somebody into the wrong level of care, right? It's like uh, it's like okay, maybe you know if I had a medical condition, right, and I, uh, you know, like I have a I don't know, maybe like a cold, right? Uh, like it's a really bad cold, it's really bothering me, right? It's keeping me up at night. I'm coughing a lot, right? But that doesn't mean I need to be like inpatient in the hospital. Right? right, there's a there's a different level there, and if you do that with me, then like maybe next time I'm not gonna like reach out for help in the same way, right? So part of this early intervention piece is a short-term intervention that's meant to support students that are not um, necessarily meeting criteria for addiction, right? And it's to sort of make a change in their life that overall will help them to really avoid developing a substance use disorder in the future and avoid other potential consequences. Um, but also for those that maybe do need that extra help. It's to help them identify that and get into the appropriate level of care. Your question was about, uh, also about people that um, maybe are meeting criteria for addiction. Right, yes. Is that right? Yes, yeah. And so what do we do with them? Continuum, exactly. Right, what do we do with them? Yeah, so there's a variety of treatment options. Uh, I mean, with nicotine specifically, but there's a, a Colorado Quit line, which exists, and they offer free nicotine coaching. Um, that's a really great place to start. Um, they also can sometimes give out like nicotine patches and gum, things like that. Uh, here, here at CU, if there's a student here, we we do have um, like a nicotine cessation coaching as well. Okay. We do some of that. But then there's, of course, there's always counseling, right? There's uh, outpatient counseling. That's a, a good place to start. Um, if you think it's, you know, if you're really worried about it, uh, you know, I think the best place to start it with counseling is to get an assessment. Right? If you're really worried that point of an assessment is for somebody to determine if somebody is diagnosable and what is a most appropriate level of treatment for them at that point. So that that certainly exists. So you mentioned a couple things when you were talking. Um, One of them was the stages of change. Oh, yes. Um, And I think that's, I think, an important thing to talk about when it comes to any kind of addiction. So Mm -hmm. what do you mean when you say stages of change? Okay, so stages of change, right? So the first stage of change is there's uh, pre-contemplation. Right, so pre-contemplation is like somebody who I work with is coming in to see me. Maybe um, they've had some sort of consequence around alcohol or another drug, right? But they don't see it, right? Everything their use is just perfect, right? Um, it's only it's very one-sided, right? So it's somebody who says, you know, like I don't want to make any changes. Everything's perfect the way it is, right? That's that's pre-contemplation. At some point, if you create. If, if my job is to create space for somebody to explore how perfect everything is and really just like dig into that. At some point 
they're going to determine that it's not perfect. My job then, and then we're moving in, that's contemplation, right? We're holding these two pieces where the person is, is saying like, okay, well, I still want to use this substance, but then there's some reasons that it's not really going well for me, right? So there's a conflict or ambivalence within that person, right? So that's, that's, that's called contemplation. It's the second stage of change. Great, we're moving forward, right? When someone is in contemplation, my job is just to hold those two pieces for them, right? Hey, I hear that, like, you really like nicotine because, like, it's something you do with all your friends and it helps you relax, you know, when you're really stressed, it's something you do. But at the same time, like, you're kind of worried about developing an addiction and, like, you've seen some of your friends that, like, use it and they don't even feel the effects anymore and you don't really want that and it's expensive. Like, what are you going to do? My job is just to give that to them. It's not to solve it, but just to give those two pieces back. And eventually, people don't like that because it's uncomfortable, right? When I have conflict with myself, it's uncomfortable. And so I need to pick a side or figure something out to get out of that discomfort. So either I'll choose to go back into pre-contemplation and everything's fine, or I'll choose to say, hey, actually, I do want to make a change around this. Then we're in preparation. It's the third stage of change, right? So preparation is just saying, okay, well, I do want to make this change. Maybe I want to stop using or I want to use less often or whatever that change is. How do we do that? It's preparing to make the change. It's creating a plan. And there's action, right? So I've, uh, I've prepared. I know what I'm going to do. I know what my plan is. My plan is I'm going to throw my, my jewel away. And uh, I'm going to tell my friends that I'm going to stop using and my family that I don't want to use anymore. And um, I have you know talked to a, a quick coach as well. And I think I've got it all figured out. And so now I'm taking action. I've stopped. Right? I'm, I'm acting on that plan. And then there's maintenance. Maintenance is action over time. It's okay. I've made this change. And now I'm maintaining it over a period of time. And the, the last stage I talk about is relapse. And this is part of the stages of change where with any change, right, at point, some points I fall back. Um, and that's actually really normal, right? Uh, it can be as simple as, hey, I don't know about you, but I've made changes where I'm going to go to the gym, I'm going to exercise every day. Uh, and I do that for a while, and then something happens. I get an injury or uh, I'm really busy and I stop, right? Same is true with substance use. Um, sometimes we fall back to old patterns. Uh, and then we start the cycle over again. In the process of supporting somebody in their own choice around using, um, and in this case vaping, you, you have to move with them through those spaces and understand that at some point they could relapse and supporting them through that relapse and getting them back on the path is where your role is as a parent. I can say with my role, um, yeah. yeah, my role is to definitely create space for people to explore, right? So. Pre-contemplation, my job is to, oh, everything's perfect? Let's welcome that. Tell me how perfect everything is. I want to know. I want to know every little detail about what you love about this. Right? Eventually, I'm going to find something that doesn't fit, and it's going to be confusing for me. Right? Somebody's going to say something like, oh, uh, well, you know, it, it, but, you know, sometimes I feel like I have to use because, like, my friends are. Oh, well, then I'll dig into that piece. Right? And then eventually we'll have two pieces. Well, I hear that, like, you really, like, you know, on the one hand, you really like how it feels to use, but on the other hand, you kind of feel like you have to. Right, in order to fit in with your friends, you don't really like that. That's contemplation. I'm gonna then just give that back to the person. Just keep giving it back to them. Keep giving it back to them until they make a choice. It's not my job to choose for them. In right. fact, I can't. Only they right. can. Right. Um, and unfortunately, I think as parents, we wish we could choose for our kids all the time, but we actually can't in that role either. We can set boundaries and have rules and expectations and consequences, but yeah, I, I appreciate you bringing that piece up about boundaries and consequences. Um, because substance use will naturally have some consequences, and it's okay as a parent to have consequences around substance use. And for some students that I work with, um, you know, having to talk to their family about getting in trouble at school or, uh, you know, that 
they got caught using a certain substance is actually a real big deterrent to them using uh, or a big motivator to change. And so I don't know what's right for any of you, your families or whatever, but I can say that I've seen that happen. Yeah. I, th- I think what I really want to make clear, though, is that um, creating space right, and welcoming what somebody has and really wanting to know and understand and empathize with uh, why somebody is, is doing something, um, that that is that can fit also with having strong boundaries. We can welcome what somebody wants while also holding a strong boundary, mm-hmm. right? And those strong boundaries may include consequences. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's an important point that you make. Those areas can get blurred when you care so much about somebody. <sighs> so... Yeah. Um, so as a parent, being really clear on what those things are, what those consequences and boundaries are in your home, and being consistent, um, but then also still being able to be in relationship um, is important. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. We want to be careful, right, because I think that that connection piece, right, that relationship piece, that that is never a... Uh, helpful consequence right losing that right and sometimes I don't know about you but sometimes when somebody uh, breaks my trust or hurts me um, I really want to separate or uh, I can want to I can be angry and upset with them and so I I, I know I talked about this in the beginning but I really want to be mindful about how someone's actions have impacted my feelings Um, and I want to be authentic with my feelings also but I just want to be mindful about like how how are my feelings impacting this conversation? Yeah, and there's a level of self-care there, right? As a, as a parent, I think it can be really hard to take care of yourself, deal with what's happening, and pull back enough that you don't push your child away. Yeah. Um, Sounds super complicated. Right? In a way, I'm glad I'm not there yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, you do all this work, and you're going to be very prepared when you get there. <laughs> so... Um, your role, you spend a lot of time with young people, you, you work with youth all the time, and you've done a lot of this prevention work. Um, what do you think is the most important thing for people to know about how to show up for a young person? I try my best to show up authentically, and that's hard. Um, sometimes I feel this pressure to be like an expert or to have the answers, um, and when I can really let go of that, I find it much easier to connect. I do my best, sometimes even when people come in to see me, younger people, they have an expectation that I'm going to be able to solve their problems for them. Mm-hmm. And I just can't. I can't. I wish I could. That'd be amazing. Uh, mm-hmm. But I can't. They're the only ones who can solve their problems, and they're the only experts on them. The only thing I'm an expert on is me. Uh, so showing up in that way really helps me. And even saying that, I say that to st- the students that I work with. It's one of the first things I say, actually. What other tips would you have for somebody who just wants to support a young person in growing up, like figuring out who they are? Just love them. <laughs> That's really, I mean, it sounds simple, but it's, yeah. Love them and tell them that you love them. And, uh, I mean, if that's a relationship, if you have a relationship where you can do that, if you don't, I would say show up and say, hey, I'm here. Like, I want whatever's best for you, and I don't know what's best for you. But I'm willing to help you figure it out. Let's work together on it. I'm on your team if you'll let me. You know, that's yeah. that's that's what I would say. Um, you know, there's a there's a difference between trusting somebody to figure something out on their own and trusting them to figure it out, but also being in a relationship with them while they're figuring that out, right? 
I want to be there and be next to somebody and be with them, be able to really empathize um, without trying to control it, right? It's like, how do I stay connected with somebody without using force? Uh, and that can be tricky when I get scared. That's the biggest thing for me. I get scared and then I want to control it. Um, <laughs> and I think that's exactly <laughs> the thing that parents experience, you know, fear around what could happen if their child becomes addicted to vaping or addicted to another substance. Um, because it's so, I mean, the consequences are so huge, right? They are. I mean, we're, we're talking about life and death consequences. I mean, even with vaping, although, I mean, I guess we're getting some of these stories about people having real, real intense health consequences pretty, like, without, without that long-term of use, uh, pretty short-term use. Um, so, I mean, the, there, are real, there are real things to be scared of. Again, I, I want to reiterate, it is okay to, to have whatever feeling you have. When there's somebody in my life that I love that's, using a, that's doing something that I think is harmful to them, I have big feelings, and, that, and I will share those feelings. Um, I will tell them, hey, what you're doing, it scares me. I'm really scared. I'm really worried. And, like, I also, like, I can't make this decision for you. I can't control it. So, like, I'm just here for you. Like, if you ever want to talk about it, I'm here. I want to... Happy to like help you explore it or be with you in this, you know. I, I like I accept you as you are. I still love you. I just like I don't know. I just want you to know it's like freaking me out. It's modeling. That's the other piece. Is I want to model. I want to. I want. Um, if I I want to act in the way and what I expect from whoever I'm talking to, right? So I want to. Uh, I, if I'm expecting somebody to be authentic and share something with me, I need to be able to be willing to be vulnerable and authentic with them, to some extent. Right? And, and being vulnerable doesn't mean sharing every single detail, personal detail about my life, but it does mean saying, hey, this is what I'm feeling, and this is real. Um, where are you at with it? I naturally have a, a, a seat of power with where I'm at, right? I'm working with somebody that's younger than me. Um, they're coming in. You know, there's an expectation that, like, I'm an expert and they're not. Like, I have this experience. Like, I'm supposed to have the answers, right? And I find that um, if I... If I I l like live into that expectation, right? What it's doing is it's shutting that young person down. It's saying, "Oh, they actually don't have the answers." That's the message I'm giving them, right? I'm the one with the answers, right? Uh, my job, right, is to create this space where people can hopefully be their, like look into their look into themselves. And if I'm not willing to do that myself and sort of like even that playing field, then this power differential it. it it's going to make it really hard for that person to really touch in authentically. Even though I'm a parent, I wanted my children to have a lot of other adults in their lives outside of me that they felt they trusted and could talk to about different things. Um, and, and I was very careful to not feel bad or take it personally if one of my kids went to somebody else or, or consoled in someone else about something instead of me. Um, and I... What I'm hearing in the role that you have is that you have you have the potential to do that for young people who yeah. maybe they can't talk to their parent or maybe they can talk to their parent, but it's helpful to talk to someone else as well. Yeah, I, I would actually encourage that too, right? So as I think it's great to be able to talk with family members and parents and people that really know you and love you. That's so important, right? And sometimes it's more helpful to talk to somebody that doesn't know you as well. Um, I mean, that's why we have early intervention practices, right? It's harder for me to work with somebody who I really love and care about because my feelings about their their use is, uh, they're way more intense, they're big. They're bigger than they would be with somebody who I don't know as well. Um, 
And so it's nice. I mean, I, I don't know about every community, but I know here in, um, in Boulder with BVSD, I know they do Teen Intervene. So they have a team there that they work with students who are to explore their relationships with substances, I know in high schools at least. Um, and also there's at Boulder County Public Health a substance abuse intervention program, and they do very similar work. They work with young people and create spaces for them to explore that relationship with substances. Right. Um, and that can be really helpful. It's like less, it's like little, there's like less pressure on it. There's, there's less history. Um, you can be objective and you can still be supportive and not, not take it so personally. So is there anything you would want to leave our audience with today? Well, first of all, if you're a parent, I think you're amazing. Way to go. <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening to this, I, it just says a lot even that you're, you're here and, and you're trying to explore within yourself, how do I better support my child or my child's friends or whoever it is you're trying to support? You know, the main points for me, the things that I want to get out there is just that, um, one, like early intervention services exist and they're not nearly widely known or utilized in, in the way that I think that they could be. Um, most people, when they they see somebody using substances, they immediately think this person needs to go to treatment. And in a lot of cases, that's true. Uh, or, but in a lot of cases, that's also not necessarily the best, the best first step. And that's why early intervention services do exist. So that's, that's one piece. The second piece I would just say is yeah, this is, again, weird to say, but drugs have benefits, and we need to acknowledge that. They have benefits, and they have really severe consequences, too. We need to be able to hold both sides. Um, the young people that I work with, they know that. And if I am just holding one side, then, then they're not going to be able to open up totally. It's going to be like a... It doesn't work when I only hold one side of that. And we can, we can hold both sides without condoning either. As a parent, I don't, I don't know what, what that's like. Um, I can say that, at least with my parents, like their opinions mattered to me, and they impacted me, and they shared those with me. And because I knew them, that did help. That did influence some of the choices that I made. And the other piece is, if we're, if I would say, in order to create space for somebody to share authentically, I need to be willing to share authentically. And can I do that in a way that's not uh, projecting and putting my feelings onto? other person to make me feel better or feel a different way right i i gotta own my own feelings if i'm scared that's okay that's on me i gotta work that out it's not up to you to change to make me feel better and i don't know how else to connect other than to share authentically right and 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 know that even though like if i open myself up because the truth is like if i'm being vulnerable and sharing authentically and opening my heart and what's real the person that i'm opening to like has a choice to make and they may choose something that really hurts me I feel like the alternative is worse. <laughs> the alternative is never opening at all. I hear help your kiddos through this stuff, love them through it, find other resources, rely on some other important adults in their lives, um, and guide them through their own discovery. Yeah, help them to discover. And there's no, there's no right way. That's the thing is there's no right way when it comes to substance use. Um, there's no right treatment path. Uh, it's like, I mean, I, I spent a lot of time working in um, residential and inpatient treatment and, and detox, and sometimes people would come in a hundred times, and we would try a hundred different things, and on the hundred and one first time, something would click, and there'd be a change. <laughs> For some of you, maybe, I don't know, I, I, there's hopelessness sometimes, as I've experienced that. I don't know if anybody listening has, but I have certainly experienced hopelessness with working with people around substance use. 
what I can tell you is that there's people that I felt hopeless with and there has been change that's happened. Um, so don't give up. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. that's what I'm trying to say is uh, don't give up. It's, it's normal and okay to feel hopeless sometimes, when, especially when you're working with somebody who's suffering from addiction. And you never know when somebody's going to be willing to make a change or when something's going to click for somebody. I'm still baffled by it. I really appreciate what you shared today and I think that it's a a real conversation for us to have around just substances but also being in relationship with our kids and with the kids that are in our lives or the people in our lives that we care about Um, so thank you again we want to thank Radio 1190 for letting us use their space if you like what you heard today and want to become a sponsor or make a donation you can find us at penbv.org that's p-e-n-b-v dot org We hope today's conversation has added to your parenting well. Having a well of resources leaves us more engaged, educated, and empowered to support our children in being strong, resourceful, confident, and resilient in the face of life's many challenges and adventures. I'm Dr. Shelley Mann, and you've been listening to Parenting Well Podcast. Until next time, happy parenting.